Welcome to About Empathy, a podcast that focuses on patient and healthcare providers' experiences. Thanks for joining us for the second season of About Empathy. This season, we have engaging conversations with patients and informative discussions with healthcare providers. There are six episodes in this season, and each week we will dive into a topic that we hope inspires you to have empathic interactions. I'm Dr. Irene Ying, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani, and I'm Dr. Dori Sekracha. We are physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. Our clinical experiences have taught us that there is invaluable wisdom in the stories of the people we care for and work with. This podcast gives voice to both the patient and healthcare provider experience while also reflecting on how we can learn from these stories to inform our practice. We often think about empathy on a micro level, our one-on-one interactions. But what about approaching empathy on a systems level? What can be done to help encourage and foster empathic interactions in the healthcare system? Lawrence Lowe is the Associate Medical Officer at Peel Public Health. Lawrence is here to share with us his view of how advocating for system-wide change can help create space for empathy and what he is focused on as he serves a diverse community. Lawrence, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. As a public health physician, can you describe how you define and approach empathy? So empathy, to a large extent, is really trying to understand the stories behind uh, what we see, at least in public health, in terms of the data and the patients and clients that we serve. So what we do in public health is really our, our mandate is to protect, promote, and optimize the health of our community. And in order to do that, we use a lot of data and we use a lot of community engagement. But in order to be effective in our role, we need to understand how those data and how those actually play out in people's day-to-day lives. So empathy is really trying to understand the stories behind the numbers, if you will. How do you guys go about doing that? When I think about your job, and I'm sorry, I don't actually know that much about like what medical officers do on a day-to-day basis, but you know, how do you get those stories out? I'm thinking you probably have to go out into the public and you know dig a little deeper. Like, how does that happen? So it really depends on the health issue that we're addressing. But a lot of the times we're fortunate to work with community partners who are on the ground. So I think about things, for example, in our communicable disease shop within our harm reduction programs and working with people with lived experience or people who use drugs. We have frontline staff that actually are working with community partners and with, you know, clients and patients day in and day out. And so to some extent, what they see on the ground informs what we see in the data and what we're actually tracking. So I'd say it's community partners, it's stuff that we see from our frontline staff being out in the community. And it's also really just understanding the community overall, working with elected representatives, seeing what's in the news, trying to get a tone of what's on the community from social media. All of these kind of give us a flavor, an idea of some themes or challenges that people may be focused on when it comes to their health in our region. I think it's really interesting because data is so important. A lot of the decision making that happens at a political or at a medical level happens with data, basically. But when you think about sort of individual people and their stories and how that's what really touches people, I think the data is important. But what someone's lived experience, I think, is so important. So how do you marry the two or how do you reconcile the two, the data with the one-on-one experiences? I actually think the two are very closely intertwined. For example, if we actually are looking at differences in chronic disease rates in our community, so for example, one of the chronic diseases that is very high in the region appeal is diabetes. There's a significant proportion of our residents who have diabetes and have a chance of developing it over their lifetime to largely say, you know, which members of our community are actually more likely to be impacted by this. So 
It's really a matter of trying to look at the data through a specific lens and understanding that behind all these numbers, behind all these pieces, there's actually people. These are not just data for a faceless community, but it's actually made up of the 1.4 million people that we serve in our region. Do you think the stories are getting to the right people? Like when you're trying to have change, are you witnessing change or are you finding a barrier between getting that story to the people to help them to understand the importance of these issues? Again, I'd say it really depends on the health issue, right? And so there are certain health issues where it's easy to actually come, usually stuff around, for example, maternal child health or school health. Policymakers are very cognizant, receptive to those messages. Not so with certain other issues. And you can imagine that the receptivity on some of the more challenging issues, especially with the current community context of the day, um, at least with a number of governmental changes, even if the message is delivered, it may not necessarily be openly received. So in the interest of full disclosure, I was the one who thought about you coming to join us as a guest on the podcast because we go back to our residency days. One of the things that I was really interested in was, you know, back in residency days, you were very much interested in global health and involved in that. You would publish a lot of, I think, very thought-provoking pieces on, I guess, lessons you learned, things that we were doing well on the global health front and things that weren't being done very well. And how has that experience both informed your idea of empathy Like, are we doing it well? Are we doing it poorly on a systems level? And then also informed your work as a public health officer now. You know, it's really great that you asked me that question because what I realized in the difference between what I do in Peel and the work that I was doing in the global health and development space is that they're both communities, right? They're both communities that are made up of people. They have different foundations. They have different cultures. They have slightly different contexts. But to be a good public health physician, you need to really understand what is going on in the community, both from the data side, but also just from the overall socio-political context in the community. You mentioned I used to be involved as a resident, and to a large extent, I've started a transition or take a bit of a hiatus from the global health arena simply because some of the work that I was involved in I feel is is missing the mark. So the first thing that informed my practice is they're all communities and how we work on it. Second thing that actually came out of that is the idea that in health and healthcare, oftentimes we're not that great or we're not necessarily as effective as we could be in looking at what is the desired outcome and how our activities actually get us there. And this is actually something that we do at Peel is really thinking about If our ultimate outcome as a health department is to advance health equity, which means giving everyone an equal shot at good health, then we need to actually understand the data about where those disparities lie. But we also need to understand how action on those data could actually make a difference to give someone more options to actually make the healthy choice the right choice. Insofar as that's difficult to do even at a local public health level, you can imagine, at least in the global health and development space, there is even more challenges just working in a different environment, in different languages, different culture. And too often, I think what happened in the global health and development space, at least what caused me to decide to take some time to reflect and go on a hiatus, was that many people were just doing things simply because they were you know, easy or convenient rather than actually getting to that outcome of advancing health equity. Can you give us an example of like what you mean by that? Oh, absolutely. A great example, and the focus on my global health research was really in short-term medical experiences. And these are trips where physicians or students or residents, they'll go abroad for two to three weeks, and they'll basically go and do a bunch of clinics or some surgeries in a lower middle-income country. And that's very popular, and they come back with photos that they post on social media. Absolutely. All the wonderful things they've been doing, yes. Exactly. Or wonderful, perhaps in quotations, because I think part of the challenge, and this is where I go to the outcomes focus, is a lot of people go on those experiences because they 
want to make a difference and they want to actually improve the health of people overseas. But if you actually take a step back and think about it and going back to the thought of you need to start with the outcome in mind, if your goal is to improve the health of communities overseas and promote greater global health equity, meaning that everyone around the world can have the same shot at good health, how is doing a one-week trip going to actually get to that? How is it actually going to achieve that, particularly if it's not well done? In the course of my study of a lot of these trips, and uh, looking at the ethics and concerns around them, you look at things like they're going without proper medications, or they're going without facilities to follow up on testing if they're doing screening. And the result is that you're not actually getting to that outcome of improving health. If anything, you may actually be detracting or causing harm. So the intent is great, yes. but the process isn't working. Exactly. But who's setting up the process? Like, how do we fix that? Because if there's a lot of people with good intentions and they have some energy to try and influence change, how do we help them use that energy appropriately? Well, so it's funny that you asked me that because I think a lot of it, to some extent, comes back down to empathy as well, right? And mm -hmm. part of empathy is also taking a reflective lens and trying to think, if it was the other way around and you were going to have health professionals from a different country come to Canada and set up and do the same sort of thing here. What would that look like and what challenges would we have with that? So I think there's that part as well. The ultimate solution to your problem is a complicated one. I think the intentions are good and they're great. It goes to the idea that we need to get people to start focusing on the outcome. So right. don't just do a random trip. Start looking for established programs, start looking for places where you can actually make a difference. But in order to encourage that behavior change, you need to put in a lot of different chunks into place to actually incentivize the more responsible behavior. Do you think there's a role for these short trips, though? Because if you're someone, let's say you've grown up in a fairly developed country, sheltered sort of from a lot of the atrocities and inequities that happen around the world, you know, you may not understand quite what people are going through until you're able to go and people may not have the luxury of going for two, three months. So if it means going and understanding what people have to experience so that you can come back and then have a more developed plan and focus on the outcome. So like, is there a role for these short term trips? So part of the criticism of a lot of these short-term experiences is that the people who do go and the organizations that send them tend to benefit much more than the community that actually receives them. So you're absolutely right that a lot of people go abroad and they actually develop soft skills and empathy and cultural sensitivity and all these other pieces. So there is definitely a benefit for the participants. But from an ethical perspective, I think where a lot of the criticism comes from is to what degree can we have communities that are already under-resourced and beset by challenges be a training ground or a testing ground for folks to yeah. learn about empathy. So I think there are ways for us to retain those benefits where people can learn about empathy and other pieces while they're on these trips. But just making sure that we focus on how do we do so in a manner that actually is also helpful to the other communities that host them. Absolutely. How do we train medical students? And not just that, how do we sort of help encourage physicians or healthcare providers already in practice to develop their advocacy skills? Because I think maybe some physicians don't see themselves as advocates or some healthcare providers don't see themselves as advocates. How do you see us doing that? I think I see the interest in advocacy two ways. So certainly for people who don't see themselves as advocates, I think it's a matter of just trying to find an issue or trying to encourage them to speak out or discuss issues that they may be mm. interested in. Because a lot of the times people are interested in being an advocate. It's just they haven't found a specific mm. issue that they want to advocate mm -hmm. for. I think the other part of the advocacy piece, though, is about doing it well. One of the challenges, if anything, is on the opposite tack. While some physicians may not see themselves as advocates, there are increasingly a number of physicians who fancy themselves as 
advocates of all kinds of issues. Mm. And I think that gets into challenges, particularly where I've seen physicians start to advocate for issues for which they maybe don't necessarily have formal training or a significant base of expertise in, mm -hmm. but simply believe that because they have a medical degree that they're somehow better placed to speak to it than members of the general public, which really isn't the case at all mm -hmm. either. Ensuring that we also work with folks like that to make sure that their advocacy is effective and hopefully in line with something that they can speak on effectively is another important piece to look at as well. What are you most hopeful about? What change are you thinking is the next one that we can have the biggest impact on? In respect of short-term experiences, for everything that I've said so far about short-term medical experiences abroad, I actually believe that they are a great thing. They need to be deployed in a manner that's more effective. I think the biggest change that I'm seeing right now is that many people don't want to go on standalone random trips. They're interested in setting up more established programs that sort of are visiting on a regular basis yeah. over a number of years and developing a relationship. There's still challenges to be sure, but I think even that first step of just making sure people aren't simply parachuting in somewhere for a one-time deal, that would be the first and foremost important thing to actually work on. About bringing it back home, what are you most hopeful about for Peel region? I am fortunate to be leading the health equity strategic priority oh, at our nice. Peel department. And our goal is really to sort of look at how is it that basically everything that we do as a public health department ultimately feeds up into health equity ourselves and together with partners such as in the healthcare system. And if health equity is sort of the ultimate final frontier of all of our work, really the chance to give everyone the same or a fair shot at good health, then I think going back to the idea that we need to start with outcomes, that's probably where we need to start with our thinking. You know, everything that we are putting our money into, I often think of my mentor who once said this, you can have the greatest trauma system in the world, and I know Sunnybrook is a trauma hospital, but it will do nothing to stop death and disability from motor vehicle crashes. So if we start looking at health equity as the ultimate goal, and then look at all of the things we do in healthcare, in the community, with that lens in mind, then I think it'll become very quickly obvious what things are important and what things may need to be changed or optimized. Do you think we teach it well, like determinants of health and wanting that outcome of equity? I'll fully admit that it's been a long time since I've been in medical school, but I don't remember it being particularly taught well. And over the years since I've been out, there are a lot of people that I've tried to sort of change their curriculum. But I can also understand it's very challenging because there's a lot of stuff in medical curriculum and there's a lot of competing demands. But what I can say as well is there's also an opportunity there to try to encourage people to see beyond just the downstream. So we always end our podcast with the same question or we ask our guests to answer the same statement. And so it starts with, if only they knew. So what do you wish healthcare providers knew about the interaction between equity and empathy from your perspective? I think the first thing that I would encourage providers to know about is the idea that equity is much broader than just equity of access. So a lot of the times, especially in the healthcare system, people think of equity and access as equal to health equity, which is really not the case. I mean, you've got Sir Michael Marmot, who famously said, what's the point of treating people if you're just sending them back to the conditions that made the mill in the first place? So trying to explain to folks that equity is more about how we as a society organize and how we as a community organize to keep people healthy. And then related to that, when it comes to equity and empathy and how they're intertwined, you're now getting to the point of understanding that what happens in people's lives ultimately drive the science and the data. So even as we as a health department, we're busy looking at numbers and understanding our community, 
we know that there's stories behind them. We have to understand that. I think maybe the easiest thing to say is that the data shows where the challenges are and being empathic actually helps us to understand what this means, I think, for the regular provider is going back to the idea that once someone gets past the idea that equity and access is equity, you realize that there are a lot of things out there that are in our society that are making people ill. And to a large extent, being empathic and understanding what those factors are is a call to action. I think it's a call for people to, to be advocates and to do the right things to ensure that we all have a fair shot at good health. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lawrence. It's always wonderful to hear you talk so passionately about the Thank work you. that you do. Yes. Thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. We're going to take a short break. You are listening to About Empathy. About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them. No referrals necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. Visit wellspring.ca. About Empathy is made possible through an education, research, and scholarship grant from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center and a medical humanities grant that is jointly funded by postgrad medical education at University of Toronto, as well as the Department of Family and Community Medicine at Sunnybrook. So we're back from break and we were just talking to Lawrence about his perspectives and experiences working in public health and in global health. And I thought he brought up a lot of great points with respect to empathy and looking at how it really helps to promote healthcare change on a macro level. Was there anything that stuck out to you guys? I really liked what he was saying about looking at the data, but how really it's the stories of people and their experiences that help inform the data. So I think how Lawrence described it was that empathy brings the numbers to life. And he said that to us a little bit later after he left. And I think that's so important because I feel like there's so many examples of how someone's personal story coming to light Mm -hmm. through the media, how that then influences policymakers, even though the numbers have been sort of the same or unchanged, but it's really the story that fuels the empathy. As a healthcare professional, I think we've all experienced this where we see on a day-to-day basis the inequities when people can't afford to pay for a certain drug that they need to live a healthy life. Equity of access is not the same as equity of outcome. Mm -hmm. And I think we really work hard at trying to improve equity of access, but it also reminded me it's very important to also worry about social determinants of health and being an advocate where we can, because even if people can get to you quicker, if the world isn't ready to help them with what they need, just because we know what they need to do doesn't mean they have access to it. So whether it's a drug, whether it's fresh fruits and vegetables, whether it's a safe house for children to live in, where there's in violence all around them. And we know these things exist, but I think the stories are so helpful to propel that change, right? Yes. Because they're so powerful. We can see that there are a lot of things that people need in terms of getting good health care. But if it's just the numbers, we don't know the story behind it. Yeah. It's easy to turn your back and not do anything. And when you actually hear the stories, it's much harder to ignore it. I was thinking a little bit from my medical education lens, just thinking about how do we teach health equity and how do we teach advocacy. And I feel like it's something that we've gotten better at and perhaps kind of advocating more so on the one-on-one 
level. I feel like that's something that comes up quite a bit in education, but not necessarily advocating at a systems level. And I think healthcare providers are really well positioned to advocate at a systems level, but are we teaching our learners how to, to do it? How to do that and how to be leaders and how to do that at a systems level. And I think that's where there's a gap. I think that's something that would need improvement. Yeah. I think that it's good to teach both, right? Mm, the one on one and the systems level. I know at U of T, they have a health and poverty workshop every year where the medical students sit down with a healthcare professional and also someone who has experienced poverty, you know, being marginally housed. And so they get to actually talk with someone who's had that lived experience. And so I remember when I used to um, help facilitate those, I would say to the med students, I'm not the type of person who feels comfortable getting on a, a platform and saying something like that's just generally not my personality. So I like to advocate on more of a quiet level, mm. sort of the day to day things that I do for my patients. And yes, that may not have as much far reaching effects, but you have to find also what works for you. So just teaching that spectrum of advocacy mm -hmm. and then on an individual level we see you know what works best for us but doing it on some level or another mm -hmm. and that made me think too about what he was saying around advocacy and feeling like if you're going to be an advocate that you should be well informed about what you're advocating about and for and he had some suggestions for us about how to do that yeah well off my key was talking a bit about we should find groups perhaps that have the same passion as us and bring our medical knowledge to that group certainly not assume we know every mm -hmm. aspect of the group like the financial aspects mm -hmm. or other social aspects that we're not as informed about he also talked about making opinion pieces yeah, like writing publishing out, just yeah publishing and yeah an op-ed Mm -hmm. about something that we're passionate about and certainly something that we we bring knowledge from the medical arena yeah. to it which is the, all good ideas that makes me think of dr najma ahmed who's a trauma surgeon at st michael's and she's been a big advocate for gun control yes and i think she has been attacked and people have told her to stay in her lane around advocating for gun control. But from the medical perspectives, she sees the consequences yes. that gun violence have had on her patients in terms yeah. of disability and death. So that is her lane. That is her lane. That is her lane. And, and that's the perspective she comes at it from. So she can come at it from the medical perspective and she can still be an advocate for that. And Absolutely. so I think she's a great example of that. It also shows you the scary part sometimes of perhaps being an advocate, especially the way social media can be if you tap into a group that's angry at you or an mm -hmm. individual. I think that can be frightening. That's not things that I ever thought about before. Like when I was, you know, medical student or a young yeah. physician, I mean, we didn't have that. I think that's a whole new world too that we're learning to navigate. Mm -hmm. I think that's a challenge also when you're talking about social media and technology and again, taking the human interaction out of the picture. Yes. And that's where the empathy yes. is really waning because it's a, an icon, right? Yeah. That you see, it's not like a person not who a you're person. talking to. It's something you would never dare to say to someone looking at them in the exactly. face, never. Yes. But because of the anonymity of it, people feel that they can say something that is hurtful or, you know, frankly, threatening. Yes. 
Yeah, and I think that's where people who are advocates in areas that are controversial, like Dr. Ahmed, are so brave because they yes, can, they take that I on. I agree. Yes, I think that's where not everyone has to be like that because I know for me, I respect her so much, and I have also colleagues who I know have really stuck their necks out to advocate for something they saw as unjust. And if I'm going to be honest with myself, like I don't think I could do that because mm-hmm. I don't really have the thick skin to mm. be able to take on the people who are going to criticize whether rightfully or wrongfully so for everyone out there who's advocating and being public about it like kudos to you thank Absolutely. you for doing that amazing work that not all of us can do and just knowing you because i work with you <laughs> and i know you advocate for people all the time and you advocate for them on a personal level and on a family level Mm -hmm. and I think to me you're still an advocate right even though you don't feel comfortable in a public forum we don't all have to feel comfortable in a public forum but you're an advocate every day exactly I also mentioned that Mm -hmm. you know when I knew Lawrence during residency he was very much interested in global health and at the time I don't know how it is for other health professions but you know when you're trying to apply to medical school oftentimes you're trying to get in those experiences that you can really impart on your application that you have a greater understanding of the human experience and to be honest these short-term health expeditions global health trips are kind of a popular way to do it possibly through companies that are not the most ethical and so when he first talked about that that really made me think about when we're trying to do good you know people who are going on these excursions are actually trying to do good but how we can ultimately sometimes cause harm by not really thinking through the outcomes of our actions. Mm. I think it's a really interesting perspective and I'm glad he shared it with us because it's not something I would have ever thought about because I think I would have thought about it from the perspective like you were saying Dory during the conversation of the intentions are good and I think people are really trying to help in any way that they can and if it means a week or two weeks then why not so I think it helped me see it from a different lens. Our intentions enough maybe our intentions enough and I think it's an important point, not just for that, but for everything, always reflecting on outcomes. We might have good intentions, but we have to be mindful of outcomes and just always trying to see that part of it, I think, just reminds us because that is so important. And he wasn't saying that young physicians shouldn't do that, but just think about how to do it. And we all have to do that, right? Mm. We all come to work every day with good intentions, but it's important to think of outcomes and how best to get our good intention to work. Yeah, and thinking about the unintended consequences. For example, I think screening is a good example of that. If you're going to to screen for a certain illness or preventable illness, then what are the next steps? And when you're not there, who's there to pick that up? And do they have access to the treatments needed for that? So I think thinking about the unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lawrence would be so proud of you bringing up screening as an example. (laughs) (laughs) Got your public health hat on. So Irene, when I think about examples of how global health outreach is done, I think about your sister and her experience Mm -hmm. because she's got a longstanding relationship. Yes. I actually don't know if she listens to podcasts, but if she does, (laughs) hi Yvonne. It's very interesting because she goes back to Uganda every year and she's been doing this for sort of as long as I can remember. And her background is as a plastic surgeon, a pediatric plastic surgeon. And so she, I think, 
has found a good balance where she does a lot of surgical education. So she'll teach a lot of foreign surgeons how to perform certain surgeries. So the, the whole idea of just like not just catching fish for a community, but teaching them how to catch the fish so they can continue to support themselves. But also she sometimes does go on shorter term missions where they will do very high volume surgeries like in terms of like cleft palate repair. So I think a very commonly known organization is like Operation Smile because I think we've seen the commercials. And I think it's nice for her because those are sort of like the quick wins and you see the immediate gratification of the family and how it can really change their lives, right? Like this one little surgery you're doing, but also she has that other aspect to continued support and building a foundation, which I think is really where we overall, what global health's main mission should be from you know, what I was hearing from Lawrence. Yeah, it sounds like she's got the intent, but also the wonderful outcomes. Yeah, exactly. And that's so important. So yeah, it was so great chatting with Lawrence today. I always learn something new every time I talk to him, and today was no exception. Thanks for listening to this episode of About Empathy. We hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy to get a new episode each week. When you subscribe and rate our podcasts, it helps others to find us. Please share our podcast with your health professional colleagues and friends. Our website is aboutempathy.com. You can find the notes from today's episodes and information about our show on the website. About Empathy is Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sakaracha, and Irene Ying. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner.